This event was recorded live at the 2013 Edinburgh International Book Festival. What do you want? You want that one? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, a little bit, tiny bit of housekeeping, which is basically just to say hello. I'm Ian Rank, and this is Tim Burgess. We're going to be uh, discussing Tim's career, his book. You're going to get a chance to ask him questions. There'll be roving mics. We've got about 15, 20 minutes left for questions at the end. He'll be doing a signing immediately afterwards uh, in the signing tent next door. And this event is sponsored by Edinburgh Gin. That's the housekeeping done. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Burgess. Well, uh, th uh, thank you very much. Um, uh, it's been a bit of a weird week for me, uh, uh, beyond uh, rough, really. But um, I thought that this would be the first place. I mean, being Ian, being such a great guy, um, we'd had this event planned for such a long time, and I was really looking forward to it. So I thought I'd come up here and kind of, you know, do the best that we can, really. So um, very happy to be here. And um, I, li I like the story, so I, I thought I'd read it. Uh, and it's from my own book. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I don't know, it's a bit of a kind of, you know, running on all cylinders kind of story. So I'll just start, if that's okay, with you. Okay. The paranoia of a drug habit mixed with the claustrophobia and utopian ambience of a tour bus create unconventional situations that are the ideal breeding ground for eccentric behaviour. If you took five people you work with and transplanted them to the confines of the back of a tour bus, charging across a continent from one brightly lit city to another, living like it was New Year's Eve every day and every night, and repeating every day for a month, with little more than a pack of cards and a handful of worn DVDs, the whole thing punctuated by irregular stop-offs at dimly lit, mescal and grits-laden metropolis of a truck stop. Little feet playing in the background, aggressive bikers and prostitutes in the foreground. Now I'm not oh complaining. Now I'm not complaining. <laughs> and I'm possibly being defensive. But things would get a little bit sketchy, wouldn't they? <laughs> and this was our life. My life for sustained lengths of time. On top of this, music does seem to attract the OCD, ADD, bipolar, suicidal, anorexic, bulimic, power-hungry, self-obsessed, self-hating, self-harming, and the completely unself-aware. We were in a travelling cage, a mobile circus. We were a human zoo. We were, always to, we were always keen to experiment with whatever we could get our hands on, and careful to hold on to whatever we had procured, to keep the monotony at bay. Potions, lotions, unguents, powders, pills, poultices, resins and plants. Various acquaintances popping up along the way and wanting to party, added to the chaos. They bring the medicine cabinet, leaving us a little something to help us on our way. One of us was even referred to as the doctor. Bearing in mind the sheer amounts we would have in our possession and the fact that border crossings were inevitable, deliveries and intake had to be timed carefully, leading to a rather over-complex stock control system. <laughs> We were like a team of monkeys running an Argos shop. <laughs> Anyone or anything not strapped in could whiz past you at any given time. Obviously, none of these wares could be put on display. Since bands took to using buses and crossing countries, there'd been an unofficial game of cat and mouse with those paid to uphold the law. If you get caught, not only do you lose a stash, but tour managers become disgruntled. US visas become impossible to secure, and schedules go into meltdown. <laughs> we always seem to be accepting a large amount of grass on our arrival in Seattle. Next stop, Vancouver, involving the most notorious border crossing in the music world. Learning where to stash the stuff was key. 
A tour bus has many a nook and cranny where illicit small packages can be hidden. Though with the excitement and forgetfulness that all this brings, it can take hours to find them again. <laughs> On approaching one border, we were eager to make sure we crossed it with our essentials intact. After hours of staring at the TV screen, oh, I forgot to mention that I was going to use um, Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs to uh, describe this a little bit. But um, uh, I'll go back. Anyway. <laughs> Mr. White had noticed that the entire entertainment system was held in place by a frame secured by a dozen screws. I'm protecting members of the band. So. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. I don't know. You know just, uh, anyway. He thought there'd be enough room behind the frame to accommodate our valuables temporarily. Not only the narcotics themselves, but also the paraphernalia. The scales, papers, tablespoons, baggies, scarred CD cases and blockbuster cards. <laughs> As the tour bus roared ever closer to the border, our team sprang into action. Mini screwdrivers were sourced and micro-engineering was undertaken. Now that Mr Pink was in charge of the logistics, anything to do with maps and a toolkit, we knew we were in safe hands. Mr. White was almost like an understudy to Mr. Pink, as he'd not been around so long. Mr. Blom was the muscle, the director of movement of anything heavy and breakable. He tried to approach the whole mission from a scientific point of view. On a tramadol high, through a broken bone, with mix of speed and Jack and Coke in hand, he would be lifting almost twice his body weight. <laughs> Mr. Purple waited quietly for events to unfold, giggling to himself, occasionally mopping a brow. Picking up his dropped tools, locating screws lost because of a sudden breaking or bumps in the road, and chopping out the last couple of lines before the goods were hidden. Everything was removed, then meticulously replaced. The whole thing was cleaned down by Mr. White. Brows were mopped, and innocent demeanours faked. I was dispatched to check for how far it was to the border. Seventeen miles. So we're going to be there in twenty minutes? No, you idiot, we crossed it 17 miles ago. They never stopped us. <laughs> and the fact that the trip was through the Channel Tunnel, it was dark for much of the operation, but we hadn't noticed. <laughs> the level of concentration brought about by the very thing we were trying to conceal, mixed with the unique atmosphere of a party bus, made something like this just an everyday occurrence. Uh, end of that bit. So. <laughs> Do you want to read the next bit just now, or do you want to wait? You can wait for the next bit. Yeah, so okay. Yeah. All right. Um, thanks for that. Um, oh, yeah. Cool. So, um, it's, uh, this new edition of the book, uh, yeah. you look at the back, if you're picking it up in a bookstore, and you go, like the best bit, this is Q Magazine, like the best bits of every cautionary rock star tale, there is armed robbery and smuggling, there's serious fraud, <laughs> near and actual death experiences, divorce, industrial cocaine consumption, and magnificent cameos from Madonna, Alan McGee, <laughs> Ronnie Wood, Joe Strummer, LA drug dealer Harry the Dog, and, wow. Yo and Joaquin Phoenix. Wow. Where, where do we start? Yeah, um, where do we start? Should we start at ICI? Yes. With a 16-year-old with a, with a yeah. who's just left school and wants to be a rock star, but is mostly working his days at ICI. Yeah, that's a good place to start. Um, well, um, my family moved to Northwich. My, uh, my dad got a job at ICI, um, uh, and um, Northwich basically, uh, uh, it, it's almost like a town that was created for this company in a way. You know, everyone who lived in Northwich worked at ICI. So I got a job there when I was uh, 16, uh, delivering mail um, to offices and, um, and, and the factory parts of the chemical factory. So I used to just ride around with my Walkman on, um, Sony Walkman, a long time ago. Oh, you know? yeah. yeah. Uh, we can explain uh, to people what a cassette is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, li uh, listening to cassettes that I'd make during the evenings to make my days a bit more interesting. Um, and um, yeah, so I was just like riding around on a bike with headphones on, throwing bits of paper and hoping that they went into the mailboxes. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you were, into, you were into music at a really young age. It says in the book that you, um, well, I don't know how old you were when you got shown around the Hacienda, but this, there was a school trip to the Hacienda. Yeah, yeah. 
be, be, before it officially opened? Yeah, it how, how would have been you? in 82. How uh, old were you? Well, actually, that, that would have been 15, uh, yeah. would have, uh, 14 or 15. I'll That's a pretty it. good school teacher. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, the, the recollections are, are vague, but I just remember us all kind of getting off the bus, walking around the building, standing around for a minute and then getting back on the bus. <laughs> so it wasn't like, it wasn't anything more what a shame. than that, but it was, it, you know... Um, but even before that, aged hang on, 11 or 12, mm. you, in your school uniform, went, oh, went to, to see Killing Joe. Killing Joe. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was, it was, you could get away with that. A pretty, it, a pretty abrasive band for an 11 yeah, or 12 well, year old to be into it. That well, it, it, was, it was... Quite an intense band. It, very intense band. It, it scared me, actually, a little bit. But I, 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 you know, but I didn't show that. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I got into music quite... Um, Really early, um, because of uh, Top of the Pops, and you know, oh. and um, I was always on the uh, on the TV every Thursday night, and families used to gather around and, and watch that, and then um, you know that continued pretty much all the way through until I guess my early twenties. There was pants people for the dads. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, uh, uh, but you didn't you have a your um, your uncle, your mother's brother was quite yeah, musical. Yeah, Andrew, was he in a yeah. band? He, he he was in quite a lot of bands. Um, and he, he, my mum's youngest brother was only five years older than me. Um, and um, he had a guitar and he would try and teach me stuff, you know, and I, I, I wasn't really interested. But he did have uh, uh, great records at, at the time, you know, um, records. Um, I don't know how great they are now, but at the time they, the records looked great. It was uh, Jethro Tull, Aqualung, yeah. uh, The Who. Uh, Slade and band, bands like that, and, and I was into the basic rollers at the time. Um, so, uh, so it was quite, it, it seemed quite, um, you know, a, advanced. And he had a bass guitar, and, and uh, uh, he, anything's he, advanced compared to yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Tell me, please tell me you didn't have the trousers with tartan down the sides. And well, things. I was really into it. I had the post of it. <laughs> It must have been a blessed relief when you got into punk. Well, that, that, that was easy because, uh, again, with Top of the Pops, um, there's a, a band called The Vibrators, and they, they performed a song called Automatic Lover. And I just went into school the next day and said that I was a punk. <laughs> and you had the, what, the bondage trousers? Le later on, yeah. Uh, well, made, my mom, made by mom, your mum? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, it was pretty... From a pair uh, of cricket whites. Yeah, that's true. That's very true, yeah. And um, th everybody loved them. And, uh, uh, you know, all my friends thought they were the best trousers ever. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my mum was kind of like a, a, a punk hero. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, you know, Vivian... Yeah, like Vivian Westwood, Westwood of she didn't know that. You know. I love the fact that your dad threw out one of your coats as well because it had some abusive phrase yeah. in the back about the police. Yeah, yeah, police killed little town. He didn't yeah. say anything to you, he just chucked it. Just it disappeared one day. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, you know... It's Everything, it sounds like all the building blocks were there for you to have a career in music. Apart from not being able to play an instrument yeah. and, and not having a band. Yeah, uh, well, I, I did... So how old, were you, how old were you when the, when the crayon set came along? <laughs> well, that was um, just only, actually the band that I was in just before the, the Charlatans, really. Um, but I'd been in bands, quite a lot of bands before that, that you know, don't, didn't really have names or anything. And, and didn't, you know, I think there's one band that was influenced by a set camera. Um, uh, there's a band before that that was, uh, you know, this kind of punk. Uh, it was in a band called Interzone, you know, after Joy Division. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was pretty cool. Big, it, you were a big, were you a Joy Division fan or was it New Order? You yeah, I was, I mean, I, 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 New Order were my favourite band, but, you know, I obviously love Joy Division as well, you know. But, but to the extent that you actually held a seance. Yeah, well, I mean, I, the, I've, it's weird for me with seances, really, because, you know, I've always, I've, always, I've never been. I, you know, I've never seeked them, you know, gone out actively seeking to do a seance, but I've I ended up in them a couple of times. As you do. And the first time that I ever did one um, was around a, a, a friend's. I, I, I must have been about, I don't know, 15 or something like that. But, you know, New Order were my favourite band, but 
this, this person that we contacted uh, said that he was sharing a room with Ian Curtis. <laughs> I like that they have rooms. <laughs> no, that's what, <laughs> no, you have to it, share. Well, that's what the thing was doing, you know. It, it, you know and uh, it, so he was sharing a room with Ian Curtis, and, um, and I just thought I'd ask the simplest question, you know. What, okay, so if you know Ian, you must know which band he was in then. And it spelled out Joy Fortin. Joy Fortin. It's kind of spooky. It is, I like it. Yeah, it's spooky, I like it. Yeah, it's spooky yeah. if you choose it to be spooky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But it did say a lot of other stuff. No. Yeah. I'm going to. And so, but, uh, you're, so you're in. You're in. Well, let's let's go forward to when you're in the the, the crayon set. And mm. but you, you're, there's a record shop you're hanging out at. Yeah. And the guy who runs the record shop is Steve Harrison. Right. And he gets you into different kinds of music and. You know, you buy, you, you spend all your ICI wages on records. Yeah, every Thursday you used to get paid, and uh, every Thursday I'd, I was, you know, I'd um, save a little bit to give to my mum mm -hmm. and spend the rest on records and then be skimp for the rest of the week, but that's the way it went, really. Um, Steve had this sh uh, shop that was uh, just specialising in independent music, you know, and uh, there'd be stuff there that I'd just be flicking through, and you know, and I, I still do it, but you know, just um, by the cover would look really interesting, and, or the title of a song or something like that. And I, I, I did buy um, Hand in Glove by the Smiths uh, when that first came out, just because it looked good and you know, uh, interesting sleeve. I'm thinking about uh, it's called interesting sleeve. Um, and uh, you know, just but that, just things like that. Um, and he would introduce me to a lot of bands, um, mostly kind of uh, '60s inspired, '80s garage bands like Milkshakes and Guana Bats and uh, The Prisoners. A band that pretty much um, when the Charlatans first got together, we definitely based some of our sound on on this band called The Prisoners. Mm. And, um, well, the charlatans already existed at this point, just that they hadn't quite found you yet. Or you yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. Um, Martin um, had been in a band uh, called Making Time, uh, just an out-and-out mod band. Um, and uh, they'd done pretty well, but they always ended up playing with the prisoners. The prisoners would open for Making Time, but Martin always wanted to be in the prisoners, even though they were the, uh, the opening band, yeah, yeah. you know, because uh, they had this Hammond organ thing that was really, um, you know, turning Martin on. And, um, uh, but he asked, after Making Time Disbanded, Martin asked Steve Harrison, this, this guy who owned the record shop, to, ma to manage them. And uh, that pretty much just entailed uh, him, uh, you know, buying a van for them. And, uh, <laughs> Every band needs a van. Yeah. Every band needs a van. So uh, I was interviewing Peter Hook on Saturday. He used to drive the van. Yeah, well, he drove no, all, the, all the equipment for Joy Division. It's it's uh, you know it's a uh, it's a basis thing. job. It seems it's to be a basis job. Yeah, I think. I think, oh, uh, yeah, it should be a basis job. Well, he said it's a basis. <laughs> job. He said it's a basis job. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm going to go to fast forward slightly because I want yeah. to leave as much time for questions, and I, want, okay. I know you've got another small reading you want to do. Yeah. But you, you, you eventually joined the Charlatans. It seemed to me that success came fairly rapidly. Yeah, it did. I mean, you sort of joined the band May 89, something like that. Yeah. And, and by January that year, you were doing your first tour. Uh, January 1990, yeah. you were on the road for the first time. There were three tours in 1990. Yeah. Um, your, your second single was a big hit. It was a hit of the summer. That, all seems, yeah. that seems really, really compressed. How did it feel? Did it feel like it was all happening very fast? It did. Um, I mean, you know, before... We recorded Indian Row, but it felt very, very slow. Um, and, but I mean, you know, I was 21, maybe 22. And, uh, you know, it felt like I'd been waiting for, for it all my life. And, you know, th you know uh, things didn't happen quick enough. And, but then from uh, th the release of Indian Row, which was January 1990, everything just exploded, really. Um, Indian Road went to number 89 in the charts, which was, um, you know, it was a massive feat, really, because no one ever really went into the charts. Um, uh, not, you know, none of the indie crowd that we looked up to, you know. Um, but then, um, you know, and it felt like a, it felt like a real thing, and and we did our own tour, and and Indian Road came out on our own label, yeah. our manager's label, and um, it felt like a real achievement. 
so, not as much of an achievement as the only one I know. Which came out and, and then and, uh, debuted in the charts at 21 and then went up to nine the following week and stayed around in the top ten for about three weeks and then hung around for ten or something like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and it's, you know, arguably one of our biggest songs. Well, uh, our biggest song, yeah, arguably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was the one that certainly took you into the big sort of venues because yeah. you, you, you say in the book about how... January you were playing to about 150 at a gig, by March it was 900, and by June it was 2,000. Yeah, it, um, was, it, it really that, I think that has to go to your head, doesn't it? Uh, you feel invincible, you feel like this is, this is, you know, we now run this. It was really exciting, no, it, that, that, because, because the van that <laughs> <laughs> we, we would, you know, I mean, I, I really love service stations, but, you know, uh, so, so we'd stop off at service stations up and down the country, and then we'd get back in to the van, Turn the radio on again, and it'd be on again, and it was just like, and then we'd be stopping, at, you know, there'd be a phone call saying you've got to pull over uh, in Stafford because someone's going to meet you there and take your photograph in a field, and we'd get back in the van and it'd be turn the radio on, and, and then we go to, you know, it'd just be mental like that, really. I forget which single it was. Was it uh, where it, you you didn't you you know this was in the kind of early days of like MTV and stuff, or the yeah. chart show on TV, and you needed a video, but you had no video. That was Indian Road. That, that was Indian Road, yeah. and you sent a still photograph. Yeah, with our manager's number on it. <laughs> Which is what they showed on TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's all they had, you know. We didn't have anything else to give them, yeah. I absolutely love that. It's good, isn't it? I yeah. love that. I just I know, love, I love it too, yeah. It's kind of, you know, it's, the, 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 I mean, the, the whole book is full of these kind of nice things where I go, oh, no, that's kind of what, you know, when I, was, when I was your age, that's exactly what I wanted, yeah. but I never, you know, never got it. And I think that's one of the nice things is that you, that, you know, that, that you were working hard, but you'd obviously caught something. You'd yeah. caught something at the time, hadn't you? Yeah. Something that young young people, something that people were looking for. Yeah, de definitely. I mean, there, there's a, a massive wave of excitement in in, in Britain. Um, you know, um, also known as the Manchester scene, but mm. it kind of really, you know, there, there, there's you know bands like Primal Scream and Soup Dragons and and the Sundays. You know, I mean, they were from London, but I mean, if you were talking about what was going on in Britain in Europe or America, you know, everyone was included. It, was, it, it wasn't regional at all. Mm. And I mean, f when, was the, when did you first go to the States, was that? It was, and, uh, well, to actually do, we went on press trips and stuff like that, you know, it's kind of unheard of now, but uh, we went in 1990 okay. uh, to, um, we went to New York and Canada, uh, Toronto and Los Angeles and San Francisco. I love the, the story, there's another story you tell where you're basically sitting backstage next to Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop came up to me and <laughs> did, did that on, on my head uh, in a gym, because we were all kind of all, all sharing this gym as a dressing room and the cramps were there and Iggy Pop and Public Enemy and uh, Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols uh, with, long, with hair down here huh. and, uh, and Iggy just sat next to me and scratched my head and then jumped up again and ran off. <laughs> And I was just sitting there going, that was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, why, why did Ronnie Wood lock you in his refrigerator? I <laughs> uh, don't know. <laughs> did, did you ask him? <laughs> no. Uh, no, um, well, I was just in this room, but it was a big room. And the door shut behind me and I could hear people laughing. And, um, but it was, you know, it was massive. And it, but there's, you know, just bits of like, milk and stuff like that. And, and, uh, <laughs> And it was his fridge, but you know, it wasn't. It wasn't for very long. But I think he was just—he's uh, just fooling around, you know. <laughs> this is, um, you know, he does also have a what, what they call it, yeah, a, a, um, you know, a, a coat, coat, not a coat of arms, a, a statue of armor, you know, oh. as you walk through the door. Yeah, um, yeah, like a kind of uh, a knight in armor. A knight in armor, yeah, yeah, when you walk through the door and Bentley's outside and stuff like that. So yeah, well, I mean, I, that's the, the downside, obviously, of the <laughs> rock and roll lifestyle. Is that <laughs> haven't they have really bad taste? Um, <laughs> big, big, uh, giant, giant fridges and, and, and knights. Suits of armor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and, and you did go in for a little bit of, of excessive behavior yourselves, oh. yeah. eventually. Yeah. Eventually, what's part of? I mean, you know, it's often a, the kind of cliche, I guess, is the band who they're young, they're exciting, they're vibrant, they're getting ahead in the world, and then the drugs start kicking in. Yeah. And is it because you're, you're traveling so much, you're bored, you need to be awake, you need to be in the studio doing stuff all the time, so you're 
constantly getting really high and really low from everything, from performing, from doing the interviews. Yeah. And it becomes part of that. Yeah, and, and I think stuff that starts off as, as excitement can, you know, you can up the ante and try and sort of like make it more exciting the night after. And, you know, just continuous, really. I mean, you go on, uh, you know, tours of America that like, last for three months and, you know, you, you, you play, you know, sound check and then show and then bus. And it starts off like, you know, you turn the lights off and put a mini mag light in your mouth, dancing to, you know, robots by Kraftwerk or something like that. And then the next night, you know, it's kind of like just, oh, let's get really trashed tonight. And then the next night you've got a hangover and you start, you know, doing some more, you know, more speed or whatever, or, you know, just to keep you going. And then it just, you know, it just go, it just, yeah. And you know. you're, also, you're, you're also getting things like invites to the Playboy Mansion and... Just and stuff, you know, I mean, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, just, just, just like playing just in Detroit and then uh, there's an after show party at David, David Bowie's place or whatever, and, you, know, uh, uh, you know, and you go there and then, you know, you, you're falling asleep, so, you, you know. And at you, what point does it become ordinary? At what point do you go, well, yeah, this is just normal life for me now? I suppose when you're getting locked in Ronnie Woods Bridge. Or getting hit on the head with by Iggy Pop or, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it was normal because you don't want to appear too starry-eyed, do you? you know, yeah. So you kind of like, you know, like, yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, you, were, you, you, even, I mean the, you even did the thing that, that, you know, rock bands occasionally do, always very impressive, which is where you land in New York off your flight and are immediately arrested. <laughs> Why were you arrested in New York? It's just the stupidest story because... Um, I, th I think we were probably being rowdy. I mean, you know, there was a lot of us, and I do remember um, Rob Collins. He, uh, he was he was going through a bit of a Bailey's phase, and uh, 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 and uh, and he bought a, a mini Monopoly and started and, and had an argument over something, and there was a big fight between him and this rowdy guy, and they had a big fight. So that that wasn't so good and then um, but th this guy was sitting in front of me and he put his hands over the the TV screen that was in the back of the back back of the seat so I tickled his finger and he got and he got up and, and punched the seat and then some uh, I think John one of our oldies sort of threatened him when he, and, and then I don't know but yeah you basically, you basically what you're saying is you got arrested for tickling I got arrested for tickling someone yeah <laughs> It's pretty impressive stuff. It's, it's pretty good, impressive yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. You mentioned Rob there, and of course, mm. you know, Rob did get into a little bit of trouble with the law. Yes. Um, later on. Yeah. Again, uh, it's crazy sort of stuff. But I mean, it, it sounds bonkers, doesn't it? That 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 your uh, uh, that that member of your band would get involved in an armed robbery. Yes. Or is it just something that happens? It just seemed to happen to him. It seemed like it just happened. Well, on, on that occasion, it you know, I mean, it was obviously pretty messed up, but. Um, you know, I think uh, Rob and his mate were, I guess, were just kind of uh, pushing each other to the limits, really, I suppose. And I, 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 dare. I think I think pulling a dare, really. And um, and uh, it, it, uh, Rob's friend said to him, you know, I'm going to go and, um, I don't know. Yeah, like I'm going to go and hold up this shop or something. going to hold up this shop. You sit uh, in the shop car and wait with and uh, Rob, I suppose, just said to him, I bet you don't. That's all it takes. Yeah, and... Uh, Which ends up with Rob in jail for eight months while you guys are trying to make an album. Yeah, it's uh, inconsiderate. <laughs> it is kind of inconsiderate. It is inconsiderate. I like the fact that the, the first thing that happened to him is that when he came out of jail was there was a car waiting to take him to the top of the pop yeah, studio. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you guys could so perform your yeah. single. Well, can't get out of bed, you know. It was, can't get uh, out of bed. It was, um, it that was, was a, a, a nice yeah. reunion. Yeah, it, it was great to see Rob back. It was amazing. I mean, I love that guy. Yeah. So yeah. It, 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 was, it was really cool and a brilliant story, you know, that that would, you know, be the first thing that he would do after coming out of prison. And, you know, I've got to say, he looked amazing and, you know, it, it, it changed a lot. Um, and um, it took a while for us to really notice that. But, um, you know, but... Um, it was good to have him back. Yeah. It was his dad a vicar? Yeah. yeah. Is, that, is that where the church organ sound comes from? 
Probably was. I, 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 that's a good, really interesting point. I, I, I don't know, but I would imagine so. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, a, it's a quite a distinctive sound. Isn't yeah. He it? It, 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 it didn't really like other keyboards. He just like damn and you know. It's a really hard instrument to play, as you'll know, as you'll appreciate, because you're kind of nothing Very happens when you first press yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, it's you know your feet are yeah, going yeah, as well, yeah. like um, it's kind of like drums, really, but. I mean, this was in an age when, I guess, smaller kind of Korg synthesizers and little keyboards were taking over. Yeah, and he brought it back and he wanted to do that. And, um, you know, within, within a year, it had been voted as the best keyboard player in Rolling Stone magazine. And, um, you know, it was, it, he had, you know, everybody, you know, John, John Lord was paying him uh, great respect and, yeah. you know, just, just people who he admired. Uh, James Taylor from uh, The Prisoners yeah. and James Taylor Quartet. So, um, it, I mean, it did give the Charlatans a fairly distinctive sound. It meant that you did stand out from the Manchester crowd. I think. Absolutely, and it, the whole of the first album was double tracked as well, which is like I know that's very it's kind of technical, but for any kind of musicians, you know, uh, are interested in that kind of stuff, it's a pretty hard thing to do. Sure, just gives uh, it a bigger sound. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and uh, you know and. Oh, you know, he, the whole of the first album is basically Hammond organ solo, I think, really. <laughs> and in Indian Rope, there's just a little bit of singing and some drums, but it's mostly just Hammond, yeah. you know. I think you've, you also say in the book, don't you, that you think he's a better singer than you are? He's definitely a better singer than me. I mean, most of the... Not, yeah. even, not even the best singer in the Charlatans. <laughs> no, <you>? well, you <laughs> know. <laughs> it's not about singing, though, is it? It's about... It's about being a front man, it's right? It's about being a front man and being... I had this argument with somebody <laughs> once. You know, they were saying, no, a front man's very important. It's a kind of important part of the band, much more important than you're sometimes given credit for. Well, you know. Yeah, you were, <laughs> you're not going to disagree, right? I'm not going to disagree, but... I think I'm, I'm looking for a I've got a little quote here somewhere about your lyric writing that was going to... Um, <laughs> Oh, just because, you know, because the, the way yeah. you do it, you just go for a walk and you would have a little tape recorder with you or something, some means of getting, because this stuff, lyrics were always coming. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... I Sorry, can I just do it? Yes. Lyrics reveal feelings and parts of your character in short bursts. They offer a glimpse of someone catching a part of their personality, but in the light of their own choosing. So, but early on you were finding it fairly, the lyrics were just flowing out of you. Yeah. I or mean, not, I mean, maybe not. No, they, they were. I mean, I was uh, um, for a lot of the first album. I was living at I was living at home. Uh, I was living with my mum and dad. Um, so I had any excuse to kind of get out of the house and go for a walk, um, you know. And and I would be have, have this brilliant um, thing that was going on, um, you know, which was the band rehearsing every Wednesday and Sunday, and and just having instrumentals to to kind of you know write words and create melodies uh, too and um, it, it, it was just an amazing time really so I mean words were, were you know I, I do remember walking down the street and having the the beat and the feeling of the only one I know and kind of coming up with that quite just and then walking back because I, I was given a dictaphone because it was but I, I always never I never took it with me anyway because uh, I never carried a pen. I just ended up just uh, leaving the house and then running back and, and right, writing right. it down. Yeah, yeah. it's um, weird, really. I mean, because I, I don't know. It's kind of almost like I intended to forget it, uh, to forget the dictaphone, you know, or the right. pen. Right, right. Trapped you, in a. Kind of well, you get a more you get a more instinctive kind of thing going on then. Yeah, right? maybe. Yeah, because if you have something with you, then it's. You, you're thinking, well, oh, I wonder if it's something to become, record. You become very self-conscious. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So then, the, the, you know, the lyrics um, have always been quite unconscious, I think. Um, that sounds weird. Yeah, well, a wee bit. Unconscious. <laughs> I like the fact that, you know, was it, was it Rob Collins who used to throw things at you to get you to sing? It was just, you know... In the like, studio? Yeah, yeah, well, I think he'd been reading about... Um, he thought you had to go method or something. Yeah, he'd been reading about... Uh, one of my favourite films was uh, The Exorcist, and um, the director William Friedkin. Yeah. Uh, he used to, he used to uh, use a gun to get people to act. <laughs> so I think that uh, was his, his equivalent was throwing stones at you. Well, I, I wanted to experiment. I wanted to sing a song outside. Okay. And the song was Flower, and uh, so it made made sense. 
Mm. And uh, but you know, I suppose you know, that was his method thing. It's a great. That's a nice little. <laughs> it's, I, I love it. It's, it's funny, yeah. I wonder what your vocal would be like without it. Without it, yeah. Maybe less of you going. Ah, yeah. Of course, yeah. As a lot of you will know, sadly, just before Nebworth, '96. Yeah, Rob. Rob was in a car crash. Yeah. And you were making telling stories at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And Nebworth was going to be, I guess that was going to be your biggest gig yet? Well, we were invited, um, we were asked to play with Oasis at Main Road a couple of, a year before and we didn't want to because me and Mark were Manchester United fans. <laughs> and, uh, um, but when they offered us Nebworth, it was, um, we thought it would be rude to turn it down. You know, they might think there's something going on, like we didn't like them or something. But, uh, um, and Lot Lomond as well, they, mm. they offered us that. Um, but we didn't do that one because it was too soon after Rob's, uh, Rob's death and we couldn't get his, you know, and, and uh, yeah, so we just did the never one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got, you got Primal Scream. Uh, Martin uh, Duffy. Uh, yeah, you, you, it got, was you got a loner. You got a loner for the gig. I got a phone call from Jeff Barrett, who's a pretty famous PR guy in London, uh, runs Heavenly Records, and, but he, they used to do um, PR before they were a record company. And um, he, he called me up and said, you know, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to do this show at, at Nebworth or else, you know, you probably won't play again. You know, it'll just, it'll just go on and on and you won't find the right time to come back. And, you know, you may as well just do it, do it now. And, and um, I asked him how he thought, how, how he thought we could do it because, you know, our star player was missing and, you know, and he said, well, uh, Bobby's Gillespie's called and, and said, um, you can have Martin Duffy. Mm -hmm. uh, he doesn't know about it yet, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, you, can, but you can have him. And, um, and at that point, um, it, Rob, he didn't like any other keyboard players, um, apart from himself. <laughs> and, and, uh, but he, he, he did love Martin Duffy, so I, that, that was it, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, um, I walked out of the room and uh, said it to the band, and. And it was actually uh, John Brooks who said, you know, we're going to carry on. Yeah. So. Is this a good time for you to read the bit about John or do you, I mean, you don't have to. Yeah, I, I don't even know whether I, 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 I need to read it really because it's, it's kind of a... It's a little uh, bit that John says about working with you and working with the band, what the band meant, right? It, well, it, was, it wasn't. It was actually about him kind of like having, after having a seizure, oh, which right, kind right, of, right. I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe we could save it till the very end. I don't, I don't know. But. Okay, well, we'll see how we get on. We'll see how we get on. I mean, I did, you know, I'm going to flash forward a bit because I do yeah. want to leave plenty of time for questions. Okay, yeah. But, you know, the, the, you, got, you had some heavy stuff with, with drugs, including a dealer who dressed up as Santa Claus in the middle of LA in summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's not go there. No. You had some stuff with booze and everything else. Yeah, yeah. You eventually went cold turkey. You got some therapy. You managed to get yourself clean. Yeah. And um, David Lynch was mm. a big part of that. And that really intrigued me. I mean, because um, he was, was it Transcendental Meditation he was part of? And yeah, a combination well, I mean, of the two I, seemed I, to help you. I've been a, a, you know, I was a massive fan of David Lynch's films. But I didn't really know that he did uh, Transcendental Meditation. And uh, it was a, a friend of mine uh, who I wrote about a little bit in, in the book. Um, her name was Amy. And um, she was uh, just a, a friend of mine. And um, I'd, I'd known her for, for quite a few years. I was, um, I'd, been, I'd been sober for, for three years. And I really didn't make a big deal out of it. I didn't go to rehab. Uh, um, but you know, I, I kind of like did it my own way. I locked myself in in a room for, uh, for for eight days, and kind of just you know what I, I don't know. Anyway, but um, after th after th after th after three years, I was at a party in my own flat in London, and everyone was out of it, and I was just sitting there, really just bored, you know, and um, and <laughs> and uh, drinking diet coke, and uh, um, and Amy came over to me and, and started talking about David Lynch and and. Um, you know, he does transcendental meditation. I said, no, I didn't know as well. You know, he used to have quite a lot of issues, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he, he's been doing it for 25 years. And I started thinking about um, Twin Peaks, which is my favorite show, and just how calm everything really, really was. And for a moment, it, it, everything she said was just like st sticking around in my head, as opposed to just going in one ear and out of the other. And, um, and uh, I thought, 
you know, the next day I've made the phone call and... Um, and you still, you do, you've kept in touch, you still do a lot for the David Lynch Foundation. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you've got Tim Peake's coffee. Yeah, I do a lot for the David Lynch Foundation. The, the, the coffee um, um, is fair trade and yeah. comes from uh, Costa Rica and is actually made in Manchester. Um, uh, sorry, yeah. roasted, in, roasted in Manchester. Um, and um, and then all, all the profits go to the David Lynch Foundation. So it kind of, it's this great journey, I think, of like, you know, helping people in um, Costa Rica to get a decent wage and, and um, you know, feed the families and educate the families. And then yeah. it comes to us, we sell it to people who like coffee and uh, play around with it, you know, with the Tim Peaks, Twin Peaks thing. And then it goes back to David Lynch Foundation and helps people to, you know, to, I don't know, it's, you know, it well, transcendental meditation is pretty, mm. you know. Mm. Uh, You've also managed to find time to write thing, a, a pretty good you know, solo album this year. Thank you very much. Um, which we'll be playing as we leave um, the, the premises tonight. But I'm going to stop you there. I'm going to get some questions. And um, we've got a couple of roving mics. There'll be one on side of the room, on that side of the room. Put your hand up and uh, attract my attention, and we'll get somebody to you as soon as we can. Behind you, right at the end there. Thanks. Hi Tim. Hi mate. Gordon. Um, thanks for coming tonight, and especially in the circumstances, it's much appreciated. Thank you. Yeah. Um, been a fan for over 20 years, as I'm sure a lot of other people in the room are as well. Yeah. You didn't touch too much in LA in your talk tonight, but you did fall in love with it just at the peak of your commercial success. You decanted across there for a number of years, and you've come back, as you say, to London. Yeah. What have you noticed in the change in Britain socially, Politically, pharmaceutically. <laughs> now you're back. Is it is it any different to when it was when you were here? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I I've been coming uh, back pretty much every every um, summer for to do festivals and stuff like that. And I'd spent most of my time in London to do you know in order to do that and base myself there. But um, and but you know the charlatans would record. Um, in, in Manchester, so uh, you know, I'd, I'd go back to Manchester quite a lot. Um, I don't know I, what brought. I, I fell, I fell in love with um, Britain again, um, mostly because of the, of the music. Really, uh, I, I thought it just. I, I just felt like I was drawn back to it, and in, in, in a, a lot of ways. What did I notice? I don't know. Everything really just kind of changes all the time, doesn't it? But. So this, really this might just be one stage in your sort of ongoing process and in a few years you might be somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, think, okay. I think it's a good Well, thing. we'll enjoy you while we can. Oh. Um, I mean, you do, you do say in the book that, you know, Scotland felt like a second home to the charlatans. And I, I, really, I really like that. And when I saw you play last year in Edinburgh, you could see it. I mean, the, well, it was yeah. a, 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 I mean, amazing audience. Um, yeah. Got another question. Another question. Let's see. Oh, I can't believe you're being so polite. Go on. I'm going to put my glasses on. There was somebody there as well. Uh, very similar to the other chap, being a huge fan of the Charlottes oh, for I years. And you equated it uh, to the sort of Manchester scene. That I, I said on the way in that of all the bands at that time, I think the Charlottes have got the best back catalogue. Oh, thank you very bands. much. Uh, what's your favourite Charlottes song? I don't know, it just changes all the time. Um, uh, some, you know, uh, I, I, really like, um, I really like Us and Us Only. I like the song Forever. Um, and uh, it's not. Uh, <laughs> thanks, uh, I think I think it is a fan favourite. I didn't just say it because of that. Um, but then this um, um, there's other songs on. There's a, a song on. You cross my path called uh, Bird, and it's like this the smallest sort of song that we've ever written. It's like two minutes long, kind of fragile. So I, uh, compared to Forever, which is like a seven minute long epic thing. I, I, I like to, you know, I like, I like the contrast really. But. What you have to say is that your favourite song is the one you're working on next. Um, <laughs> somebody there. You're, you're That's the what expert. I do with books. Yeah, you know, yeah, what's yeah, what's your favourite book of yours? The one I'm writing just now. Uh, <laughs> Sir. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> Sir. Who would you say is the second best band from Manchester? Who's the second best band from Manchester, Tim? Oh, um, yeah, we are, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> New Order, maybe? Oh, 
I don't know. I'll, 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 no, I knew what it was best down there. Not if you ask Peter Hook to do it. Right in the front room. <laughs> Mike's coming. The mic's coming. The mic's coming. Who is your favourite Twin Peaks character? Uh, Agent Cooper. Agent Cooper. Have you ever met the actor, Carl McLaughlin? No, I haven't. No. Have you? No, but he's got he's, he's Scots. He's got Scottish roots, and he often in New York he does the kilt walk. Where he sort of wears ah. a kilt and does a kind of fashion parade for charity. Um, so I would, I would love to get him here. He's a really interesting yeah. actor, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll, you, if I'll, we get him up here, I'll get you an invite. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> I actually like Gordon Cole, though. You know, so. Oh, okay, the changes. We'll take this one here <laughs> in a second. Yeah, no. He's fickle. Fickle these looks. I stars. am very fickle. They're fickle. Got, I am. So I feel somebody's got to mention the hair. Are we staying blonde? Yeah. <laughs> I and the style. Tell us about I, the style as well. I I I tried to make it not blonde for a minute, and and it but it was kind of copper, yeah. and I didn't like it, so I just I just reverted. It's, I mean, another thing you I didn't bring it up. Thanks for bringing it up. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's another thing you had as well as your clothes, your sort of punk outfits and everything. You also had the <laughs> hair. The hair was going on from a very it was quite a young age. Yeah, I've always been into hair. You, know? you had the. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you start. You had a Bernard. One of the photos in the book is a Bernard Sumner. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, that's wearing your influences on your sleeve a bit. But thank God you stopped at the Grace Jones because you were that far away that's from it, getting a yeah. Grace Jones wedge cut. Yeah, and I wanted it silver as well. <laughs> a silver Grace Jones wedge cut. Yeah. That would be a look. Yeah. Uh, get beaten up much as a young man? No. No. You would have done up here, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Put your hand up. No, I had a mate in my, in my hometown who was a punk. Yeah, yeah. And he was the only punk, he was the only person who wasn't brave enough to walk around dressed it's as a hard, punk. And he yeah, got beaten yeah, up all the time. Yeah, yeah. All the time. Tim, can you remember the track listing on any of your cassettes as you were walking around ICI? Ah, yeah. well, I used to always like, have, um, you know, little bits from. Um, I, I used to be quite into, like, 60s uh, uh, theme tune stuff. So, so I'd have, like, you know, um, excerpts from The Prisoner and then going into maybe. Uh, um, you know, leading into the, the garage band, the prisoners, and then I'd go into a Small Faces track, maybe a, a Junior Parker track, something like that, and then maybe do have some dance, Africa, Mambata, uh, Confusion, New Order, kind of really go. Spencer Davis. You still got any of your mixtapes? Uh, I've got one, uh, but well, it's not a mixtape, it's a recording from Top of the Pops, 1978. <laughs> Can you hear parents clanking around in the kitchen in the background and stuff? Yeah. Remember those days? Jerry Rafferty was number oh. one. Good, yeah, good one. Great one. All right, another question. Um, can we get the guy near the back there? Keep your hand up, sir, so <laughs> she can get you. And then we'll take another one. We've got somebody else down here-ish for next. That, you see that lady there? Okay. Hi, Tim. Uh, hey, what was the easiest album to make for you? What was the hardest? Uh, Wonderland was definitely the easiest. Wonderland. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Is that because of the drugs involved? Just made it nice and easy? Or? It was really easy because of the drugs. Uh, <laughs> and they were very good. <laughs> hardest album? The hardest album to make um, either Telling Stories or uh, Us and Us Only. Um, I think Us and Us Only because we were, we were looking for something new. Um, Completely, we we wanted to. Um, we were trying to compare ourselves to Dylan at the time, mm. right? And uh, if if um, telling stories was um, was blonde on blonde, we wanted to make the John Wesley Harding. <laughs> tough call. <laughs> it's a tough. Call. You know, we. Yeah, well, it's it's a a brave, yeah, brave. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. brave. I'll tell you that. Right, somebody up here. What was it? Yeah. Is it more challenging to write lyrics and songs when you're off the drinking the drugs? You know how how difficult or or easier maybe is it to to find inspiration? And um, also, one more question. Yeah. Sorry. Um, how have your family responded to your success over the years? Yeah. My family. Yeah. How have they responded yeah. to your success? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, uh, I remember my uh, my mum trying to talk me out of being in a, a band because uh, she thought I had a good job. <laughs> And, it's uh, a perennial story. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but but since then, she's changed her story to um, that she'd always been really encouraging and always. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but that's that's cool. It's a seventieth birthday. Oh, know, nice one. And what about the, the lyrics? I mean, is it these days you're nice and straight and everything? Are the lyrics? Are they? I, um, I have to say, I think the lyrics on your new album are, I think, some of the best you've ever written. 
Well, um, Case of Vinyl Link's a terrific lyric. That's uh, they're actually co-writes the, on the yeah. new album, which well, um, which uh, you know is still still great. And th thanks. Um, um, actually, you know, never never really have a problem with uh, co-writing lyrics, or, or uh, but in the Charlatans, I, I, I'm always the principal lyric writer. Um, no one else really gets involved. But on my sol recent solo album, I. I I've uh, been a huge fan of a guy called Kurt Wagner for a long time. So I asked him to get involved in, in, in Nashville. Um, lyrics, post, uh, drugs. Um, yeah, it's a little harder, but I think um, it's a little more real in lots of ways. So I don't cringe as much when I listen back. <laughs> so it's like, oh my God, that was a bit wild. And <laughs> now, now you've got a three, four month old baby. Right. I look forward to your next lit set of lyrics. That might change Long sleepless nights and trying to get the baby to sleep. I'm going to try and squeeze in a couple more yeah, questions. Yeah. Yep. Is life still a bag of rebels? And are you still looking for the orange one? Mm. Is life a bag of rebels? Yeah, yeah, yeah I heard it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, of course, yeah. I, I do like rebels. I, uh, <laughs> and I, I do get them all, you know, I, when people want to buy me a gift. Orange one is. Yeah, it is, yeah. I quite like the coffee one as well, but. Yeah, and the ones that are a bit like multi Maltesers. No, no, the ones that are a bit like minstrels. Oh. Yes. I, I love minstrels. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. Life is a bag of revels. Yeah. Right? And last question, please. Not sure where to go after that. Um, Tim, thanks for coming. Uh, I wondered if there are any emerging bands, either in Britain or in the States, that you're really loving listening to at the moment that you would champion? Yeah, I mean, uh, lots. Um, there's a band that I really like um, called Throwing Up. <laughs> They'll go far. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're a punk band. Uh, uh, two girls um, are the main people involved. And uh, a band that are about to release an album called Factory Floor. Uh, um, kind of very, uh, you'll like this yeah. scene as well, they're very kind of like Throbbing Gristle, New Order inspired, but uh, very new as well. So. But you're in the fortunate position of actually having a record company yeah. and you can sort of, so you can put young emerging artists out on old Genesis, can't you? I actually can and yes, yes. Last Christmas we did a really great release with Ian. Uh, Still available on iTunes. Uh, on iTunes. <laughs> but, but we're going to turn it into a, a, a vinyl, possibly 10 inch, but more, more than likely 12 inch uh, that'll come out this year. Great. Hopefully in time for Christmas, because yes. it is a kind of Christmassy, yeah. it is a Christmassy story. Well, that's lovely. I got a plug in. I'm really happy yeah. about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to have to shut it down now um, oh. because we need some time to sign books and stuff. Apologies if you haven't got your question answered. Um, if you do queue up, you can maybe get a chance to ask Tim personally. Um, we've not had time for the reading, but I mean, we're all thinking of, of John Brooks yeah. at this time. We're all thinking of the yeah, band. Yeah. We're all thinking of John's family. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Burgess. More podcasts, videos and live recordings of author events can be found at www.edbookfest.co.uk.